Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, patients, families, colleagues, and curious folk to the PM&R Report. Our podcast is brought to you by the University of Texas at Houston in conjunction with McGovern Medical School and TIRR Memorial Hermann Department of Physical Medicine and Rehabilitation. We bring you another segment of medical explanation, reviews of current literature, expert opinions, debates, and just plain interesting stuffs. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us for this episode of PMR Report. My name is Dikran Altunian, and today I have our distinguished lecturer, uh, Dr. Kelly Nupp. From uh, University of Colorado, she's the Associate Professor of Pediatrics and Neurology. Welcome, Dr. Nup. Thanks. It's been great to be here. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, so I'm a pediatric neurologist that specializes in epilepsy. Um, from a clinical standpoint, I mostly see children with Dravet syndrome. Um, I spend the rest of my time doing research. Um, uh, my main area of interest now in research is infantile spasms, but over the last couple of years I've been doing some research with um, medical marijuana, looking at clinical outcomes because of the increased interest of medical marijuana in our state. What sparked your interest? <laughs> the, uh, so the population um, that I treat, uh, children with Dura syndrome, uh, was one of the first populations that were really highlighted in the media as having some improvement with medical marijuana. So um, very quickly, all of my patients were asking me questions about it, and uh, it, I did not have the answers. So I really had to go and do some research to try and figure out how to answer those questions and provide appropriate advice. Great. Um, so what are some of the uh, proposed uses of cannabidiol? I know you mentioned this during your talk as well. Yeah, so um, cannabidiol is now available in a pharmaceutical grade product called Epidiolex. Um, mm -hmm. And um, it's been approved for medically refractory epilepsy, specifically for children with Dravet syndrome and Lennox-Gastaut syndrome. Um, so that's the only... Um, from an epilepsy standpoint, that's the only marijuana product that's available. Um, Marinol is a synthetic THC product mm -hmm. that's been available for a while, but it does not have an indication for epilepsy. It has other indications. Okay, and uh, that's FDA approved, that's right? That's FDA approved, right. yeah. The only um, FDA approved. Right, right. Okay, um, and outside of um, seizure reduction, what are some of the other benefits? Um, well, looking at the study data, it's not really clear that there are other benefits. <laughs> so, I mean, they did see a statistically significant reduction in seizures, but when they looked at things like quality of life and sleep and um, other types of uh, measures, there didn't seem to be any statistically significant improvement in the treatment compared to the placebo. I think that some of the families do actually report improvement in quality of life, mm -hmm. um, but there were a significant amount of side effects. The two side effects that were most prominent was GI upset and sleepiness. Um, particularly the sleepiness is more prominent in people who are taking clobazam, which probably has to do with a drug interaction. Right. Um, and what are some of the other side effects? Um, you touched on some during your lecture, uh, especially in pediatric patients. Yeah, so, um, so one of the other big concerns we have is liver dysfunction, mm -hmm. um, the, uh, which may actually be increased when kids are on Depakote, uh, so something that we need to monitor for. Um, there may be some disruption of sleep, uh, the uh, irritability, agitation, um, decreased appetite, so all things that we kind of need to watch out for. Mm. 
Interesting you mentioned that uh, decreased appetite and interruptions with sleep because in you know in the media or recreational use of marijuana there is I guess not anecdotal evidence necessarily but people talk about how it improves with anxiety improves with uh, with sleep um, what are your thoughts on that yeah well I think that it probably needs to be better studied the um, you know, when people are using artisanal products, it's hard to know exactly what you're using. The FDA has looked at this several different times, and the vast majority of those products don't always have, um, their contents aren't always what they're reported. And so that's something that you know, patients need to be cautious about, is um, the consistency of their products, which may also change month to month, even if they're getting the same labeled products from the same distributor. The, um, but THC and CBD are really very different compounds and may have different effects. Um, we know that THC has um, binds to receptors in the hippocampus and the amygdala, mm -hmm. so it may be that THC-containing products actually do help out with um, dampening responses to mood, which, you know, if somebody's having anxiety, um, you could see how that might be helpful. Um, the um, it has been uh, people report using it as an anti-emetic, but there are some people who get a hyperemesis syndrome with THC, um, like the cyclic cyclic vomiting, cyclical vomiting, right? Yeah. Okay. So, um, and you know, most of the data we have demonstrates kind of inconsistent responses, and the uh, and so I think we have to be really cautious, just like any other med. I mean, there's not a single medication that we can name that everybody gets the same exact consistent response all the time. I mean, that's just not how it works. Right, <laughs> the, right. uh, we're all a little bit different. Um, but you know, the potency for THC is far greater than for CBD. So if mm -hmm. somebody is using a combination product, which most artisanal products are. Um, depending on those concentrations, they may actually be seeing more of the effects of the THC than the CBD, even though the intent was the CBD. Right. Interesting. Very interesting. So, um, how do you, um, or I guess, what do you tell families who approach you either in an inpatient setting or outpatient setting and um, that they want to use? medicinal marijuana for their kids. Yeah. How do you approach that? Is there like an action plan that you guys have? Is there like a certain process you go through? Yeah, so we don't actually prescribe. Um, so right. we are an academic institution which receives federal dollars and there's um, outside of Epidiolex, which is now FDA approved and we do prescribe that. Um, for artisanal products, we are not able to prescribe those, those products. So, um, but we do feel that um, we want to keep open communication with our families. They, um, you know, for very understandable reasons, may be choosing some of these treatment options for their children. And so we want to make sure that they're discussing it with us and that we can put some safety around that. So, you know, the first part of the conversation is letting them know what we do know. And we have collected some retrospective data that demonstrates that, you know, we do see side effects. And, you know, there are some people who are reporting benefits, but very few people are seizure free um, that's everybody's goal is seizure freedom that's the holy grail for us right. and um, that is probably not a reasonable goal for these medications um, in in that spirit of putting some safety around this we um, we actually have a protocol where our recommendation is that we check anticonvulsant levels every four weeks uh, we check liver function every four weeks because we know that there are drug interactions between cbd and clobazam we know that there are drug interactions between CBD and Depakote. We also know that there's an increased risk of liver dysfunction that may be greater when somebody is on Depakote. Um, 
so we really want to make sure that this is a safe endeavor for our patients as they're doing this and you know at all times doing our best to try and keep open communication so you know we do try to point out to people that there are known side effects that they need to watch for um, so that they're not going into this blind right. um, besides is there any um, clobazam and Depakote um, what other um, medications should you watch out for for drug and drug interactions so i mean so far yeah i'm not sure that we know beyond that Um, certainly this was something that was studied in the epidiolex trials but they haven't published any of their um, drug level data yet so we don't know if there may be some other red flags in there that we don't know about um in in our patient population, we will check all anticonvulsant levels that we're able to, and nothing else has really yeah. jumped out at us yet, but that's a small population, and our patients are using artisanal products, so we don't really know exactly what's in them. So their dosing may, you know, may be quite varied. Um, so I, I think this is an area that we don't fully understand yet. It's very challenging. Right? Yeah. yeah, definitely. When you're doing medication review and you're not really sure exactly what's in the product, I think it's very challenging um, from the practitioner standpoint and also um, trying to get that history. It it sounds like the history-taking aspect of it um, and really listening to your patients and their families is uh, is crucial. Right. No, I think so. And I think that... Um, for physicians, it really is important to keep an open mind about this so that your patients are discussing it with you. You know, just because we we know of two drug interactions doesn't mean that there aren't more. Right. And, right. Um, you know, it's important that we understand what our patients are taking so we can do our best to try and anticipate that, you know. Um, for instance, if somebody's on chemotherapy, I don't really know what those drug interactions are, but if something isn't responding the way that it should and you didn't realize somebody was taking a marijuana product, you wouldn't even know to think about it. Yeah. Right. You touched on some research um, in MS patients and the use of, of medical marijuana. Can you um, expand on that a little bit? <laughs> so it's not my area of expertise, so uh-huh. it's a little hard for me to do that off the top of my head. but. It seems that most of the results are relatively mixed. Um, so, I mean, they, there have been studies with pharmaceutical grade products of THC right. um, for spasticity and bladder control, and it seems yeah. like the results are somewhat mixed. It was enough to seek approval in Europe, but has not been enough to get approval here in, in um, the U.S. through the FDA. Um, but the two um, regulatory agencies have slightly different bars of what's required for approval. Um, One of the interesting studies in the MS population um, is uh, looking at cognition and and function uh, in people who are using inhaled marijuana products. So these aren't pharmaceutical grade products, they're they're other products that are more readily available. And this was a study that was done in Europe. One of our concerns in general is what are the long-term consequences and what are the consequences um, from a cognitive and memory standpoint on mm-hmm. patients using marijuana. And this study actually looked at um, adults with MS. They mm-hmm. controlled for degree of disease, they controlled for education, and what their socioeconomic status was prior to their diagnosis of MS, like, you know, what was their educational training and that kind of thing. Right. And then compared those who were using medical marijuana and those who were not. And they actually saw a slow processing of their thinking. They saw memory issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so really suggesting that the use of the marijuana products was causing more problems 
um, than those who were not. And they were able to control for a degree of disease. So you can't really blame it on, you know, right. maybe that population was sicker or that population wasn't as well educated because they controlled for all of that. And so that that's concerning because right. in the end, particularly for my patients, mm -hmm. what families really are worried about is will my child be independent in the long run? Will they be able to you know, sustain a job, support themselves, and be independent. And that really comes down to cognitive functioning. Right. And that's a that's very important point, especially as uh, physiatrists. Um, we care a lot about, obviously, quality of life and function. So, and, and we do treat a lot of patients with MS and spasticity, whether in adult yeah. population or pediatric population. So these are some interesting... Um, conversations and controversial conversations to have with families. Um, what advice would you give physiatrists um, in regards to uh, these conversations, whether it be in a pediatric population or adult? Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, the truth is we all want the patients to be better, right? The patients want right. to be better. Their families want them to be better. We want them to be better. And, um, you know, I think it's important to continue to keep an open conversation so you know what families are doing or thinking about doing. Most families like to have information and data. Um, the, uh, we do have to keep in mind that they're receiving information from sources other than us that may not be as accurate as it should be. And they, you know, they have, patients have to filter that, you know, what we're telling them and what other people are telling them and try to make a good decision. Right. And so the more open conversation we can have about that, the better. I think that for the vast majority of patients, the more information and data we can give them, the better. So I think we have to be very clear with them about what we do and don't know about side effects and risks associated with marijuana use. Right. And then I think we have to try and put objective measures and safety around those patients who are choosing to use this. And you know, the truth is we don't have the magic solution either, right? Like, you right. know, otherwise, you know, yeah. we would we would all be out of a job, which would be amazing, but <laughs> that isn't our reality just yet right. and, and doesn't make for a good retirement plan either. Right. <laughs> so the, um, you know, so I think for families that are choosing to use marijuana products, I think that you know, knowing what we know, we have to regularly check liver function. We have to check mm -hmm. for drug interactions when we're capable of doing that. Mm -hmm. And if we're able to give them some objective measures around whatever symptom it is they're hoping will get better, whether that's giving them a sleep scale before and after, doing cognitive measures before and after, um, mm -hmm. is, you know, they have no way of controlling for placebo effect. And right. so, you know, the more objective measures we can put around that, we can try to reduce that placebo effect and really figure out whether they're, they are getting some benefit from their product so that they can make a good decision about long-term use. Perfect. I guess that this uh, segues into my next question. Um, so what do you think the future holds um, with medicinal marijuana research um, as far as federal and state regulations? Um, how does that play into it? Yeah. I mean, it might sound like a loaded question, but... Right, it feels yeah. like a loaded question. Yeah. I don't think that we know. I mean, I think the truth that, you know, people have said there hasn't been any research, and so we don't really know. The truth is there's been a ton of research going on right. at the basic science level. I think that because of some social pressures, 
Um, some things have been pushed into the clinical realm before the basic science research was really completed. Right. Um, so I think we will see ongoing basic science research, which will help elucidate the endocannabinoid system in more detail for us. And I'm hopeful that that will lead to some more targeted therapeutics in the future. If that's five years from now or 20 years from now, I don't know. Um, mm -hmm. I do think that now that somebody has, I mean, this isn't the first time a marijuana product has been approved by by the FDA. Marinol had been on the market prior to this. Um, mm -hmm. you know, but I think that this does, this is the first time a botanical product has gone through the FDA. And right. I think that, you know, it's they the company has demonstrated that this is possible. And so my hope is that we will see more of this happen. I think just like any other pharmaceutical product, it's not easy, it takes time. That's true of any medicine that comes on the market through the appropriate channels. Right. Um, but I think having products that go through this process as providers and for our families, we have a better understanding of side effects, benefits, we have more consistent products for our families. And really in the long run, that's what most of our families want. And so I'm hopeful that we'll see more products come through and we'll have some good data to help guide decision making. Great. Yeah. Hope so too. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you again for joining us. Uh, this is again, Dr. Kelly Nupp. Uh, we appreciate your time. Oh, thanks for having me. Of course. It was a pleasure. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for joining us. Ladies and gentlemen, as we close another session of our podcast, I would like to make it clear that we make every effort to broadcast correct information. We will double-check facts and assertions, but we do ask our listeners to realize that medicine is a constantly changing science and an art. One physician may have an entirely different way of doing things from another, and any views expressed are solely those of the person expressing them. We welcome any comments, suggestions, and correction of errors. We do not accept any money, services, or sponsorship otherwise from pharmaceutical, supplement, or device companies. By listening to this podcast or reading this blog, you agree not to use this podcast or blog as medical advice to treat any medical condition in either yourself or others, including but not limited to patients that you may be treating. Consult your own physician for any medical issues that you may be having. This entire disclaimer also applies to any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog. Under no circumstances shall McGovern Medical School, any guests or contributors to the podcast or blog, or any employees, associates, or affiliates of UT Health be held responsible for damages arising from use of this podcast or blog. We are here to stimulate the dialogue. We are here to get the wheels spinning. We are here to spark new questions in the field of medicine. Thank you for listening.